This is the Level Up Podcast. I'm Taylor Petrinovich. And I'm Kelly Gilster of 618 Studios. And we are on a mission to help filmmakers level up their businesses and their craft so they can make more and work less. We want to help you confidently take your business from mainstream to luxury, and it all starts right here. Well, hello, everyone. Today, I am joined with my good friend, Erica Buchelman with 1011 Makeup. We've known each other for, oh my gosh, over a decade, Erica. Has it been? Yeah. A really long time. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. So tell me a little bit, tell me a little bit about what your business are you in? Are we kind of the same or have you been in it longer? I feel like I keep saying, I feel like I keep saying that I've been in business for like 13 years for like three years now, but I, I really did start my business in like 2011, like full-time. I think like I first took weddings in like 2009, but I really went full-time with it in 2011. Okay, so, cool. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. We were, I guess we were similar. We started in 2010, but went full-time in 2011. So we're headed into our 14th year. Um, what were you doing before hair and makeup? Well, I always wanted to do hair and makeup, but right out of of high school, my dad was like, mm, you should go to college, which I always say now, like, I feel like it was different than like, that's what you did. Like everybody went to college. And I feel like now there are so many other options for like creatives and like trade schools and, you know, whatever it is that you're pursuing. Um, but at that time in my life, it was good that I went to college. Cause I wasn't like, I needed to mature a little bit. Um, so I went all the way through my master's. Um, and then I literally enrolled in cosmetology school. Right after so I did marketing for a wedding company for like a hot minute. Um, and that's kind of when I was like, Ooh, I love weddings. Um, when I was in college, I kind of did like a little bit of like a internship with a production company. And at that point I was like, Oh, I don't like, I don't like the entertainment industry. Um, so when I went into cosmetology school and decided to like form my business, I thought, well, what better way than to really just kind of like hone in on a specific niche and just like go for the wedding industry. Um, and then since then we've like expanded and now I love the entertainment industry, but it all like was progression. Yeah. Okay. So really quickly for our listeners here that are primarily filmmakers or photographers, and we have some planners that listen on to, I feel like there's going to be a few of us listening right now that are like, this is a filmmaker's podcast. Why is a hair and makeup artist on here? And the reason why I really wanted to bring Erica on is because I wanted to bring on, I love to be able to open up the conversation to just creative partners in general that Mm -hmm. are really thriving in the luxury space and have built a business that has gotten them there. So I'm really excited for this conversation, Erica, because I, I really do feel like there is this just common web whether you are a florist or a filmmaker or a planner, um, whatever it may be, that the way that we run our business or the way that we interact with people in more of a hospitality way, um, I always kind of say like we're in the hospitality industry. Um, it, there's so much of our of our job that you know we're all creatives and artists, but we do provide really great hospitality to our clients. Um, mm-hmm. And so, I would love to hear like. 2011. So you started your business. What were those weddings kind of looking like? Was it like dabbling and shooting for friends? What was it kind of, where were you at at that point? Um, okay. Well, first I want to say, I do feel like at the core of it all, like we are all like creatives and business owners and we share that like passion to provide a service to people. And so like, regardless of what segment of the industry you're in, I feel like that's like a for sure common like thread in it all. Um, so for me, when I, right before I got into cosmetology school, um, Jessica Claire posted something on Twitter and she needed a hair makeup artist for a, um, uh, like a, what do you call that? Like a styled shoot or something. It was kind of like a shoot, but it was like a thing that a bunch of photographers went to, to like learn from, I forget. I, oh, she would do like a shootout. Yeah. Like one a of shootout? Okay. Um, yes. And so I like responded to it randomly on Twitter with literally zero portfolio. 
um, and was like, Hey, I'm just starting out. You know, I like literally was in a holding space, like trying to get into cosmetology school. Cause it was like lottery system. So I was literally just kind of like doing free, like not even free. I was making up my own photo shoots at that point to try and get some kind of pictures of something. Um, and I responded to it and she said, yes. And so I took that job from there. I got, um, connected with, um, Amy from wedding chicks she hired me for a shoot. And then it just kind of like trickled down from there. But like really in the very, very beginning, I just kind of focused on, I mean, Twitter was where it was at. Yeah. Twitter was huge. Um, and so what, when I decided, you know what, I want to do this. I want to go full time. I want to like focus on the wedding industry. I kind of just like went on to Twitter and was like, who are the people in this industry that I have so much respect for that are at the level of the market that I want to eventually like strive to be at. And I was super intentional with engagement with them. Like I would make sure that I would you know, respond and communicate and like, you know, like, wait, did you like comments on, I don't know. It all runs together now. Yeah. I think you did. I would try to engage with people on Twitter on a regular basis, just so that I would like pop up in their minds. Should something come along, you know, at that point, you know, I would do like free photo shoots whenever they would come available just because I was really trying to build my portfolio, but more so I was trying to build relationships with people. And I feel like that is the like core of my entire success of my business. I don't advertise at all. I strictly, um, it's word of mouth, which is, I feel like the most reliable form of, um, business, um, and marketing. And so, yeah, I've just like really worked hard on like maintaining and establishing relationships like this whole time, you know, like the people who I first interacted with in in my, you know, early stages of my business, I still feel like I have relations with in the, you know, stage of my business where I'm at now. Um, and I, I just hold so much value in that. So I would say that that would be kind of like where we first started off. You know, I took a couple weddings on my own. When I say on my own, I mean like literally by myself, um, and quickly realized, well, I cannot do all these services by myself and have quality services. And so from there, I kind of started like building out a team and I feel so lucky. Like it almost makes me emotional, but I feel so lucky that, um, all of the girls that started off with me like 13 years ago are still on my team today. I don't really have a, I have a very small team, but they're reliable, they're loyal, they're professional, and they're like known um, within all these other vendors that we work with consistently because they've been with me for so long. Um, I don't know if that answered your question, but no, absolutely. I loved what you said too, in the beginning, because, um, where you said, I really sought after and was intentional about those whose businesses that I wanted to emulate. And just like those who I really respected in their placement in the industry, because I think nowadays it's so easy, whether it be, I don't know, like on Facebook groups or just various social media platforms where we tend to, there's a lot of noise, right? And then we start to take advice from all these different people. They're maybe the loudest in that group or the loudest on social media in a certain way. And and like when it's all said and done, like we don't always know like what they're charging or like what, where they stand in the industry per se. Um, and so, uh, we always, you know, Taylor and I, and like our group coaching and masterminds and things like that, that we're running, we always really say like, you know, it's almost that, that quote, right. Where it's like, you're the product of your five best friends. And it's right. like, you really need to be the product of those who you really, really look up to and want to strive to be in the industry and, totally. and shut the noise out, right. Shut the noise out and just, um, focus on those who are really doing great work, who have great reputations in the industry. Like your reputation is everything. Like you said, like relationships are what this is all built on. We don't run ads either. We don't advise our students to run ads either. It's really all about the foundation of our relationships. Right. I would, yeah, I've, I mean, that's one of the things I teach my boys. I have three boys and I'm always telling them like, you are who you surround yourself with. Um, and, you know, I, I don't really do like 
like free photo shoots anymore per se. I will do collaborative shoots sometimes. And that's kind of like what I always say, like where I allocate my advertising funds to is like that time because time is money, obviously. Um, but I'm really picky now with like who I um, like say yes to or or have the time even. It's not sometimes that I don't want to say yes. It's just sometimes I really just don't have the time to commit to something like that. But in the very beginning, I just feel like that was like the biggest part of like forming into success because I was doing photo shoots with my time, not getting paid, but I was getting really great photography, like back from it, really great, like video back from it, stuff that I could use for my marketing on my website, in my portfolio. And then I, yeah, like I walked away with those relationships. And so from the beginning, I feel like, you know, I had great photos for my website. I had like things that I could put out there that showed that we were professional. And, and I really also, you know, it wasn't even just that, you know, there's lots of people in like the luxury market and, but I also feel like there's like so much to go around. I am a pretty niche, like zone in that, like we are more beauty style, really soft, like romantic textured looks. Um, we're not like super, super glam. I mean, we'll do glam, but it's always going to feel soft. But so I was really particular in navigating my way through that too. You know, like where is my clientele and who are they going to? And like, let me get in to that circle. Um, not that I, not to say that I'm not trying to like make relationships or like have time for people in other areas too, but I might not just be the right person for the, that clientele. You know what I mean? So I'm going to put a lot more of my resources and time into building relationships with um, people who I feel like I can serve and they can serve me, you know, but right. genuinely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I feel like you've always done such a good job at remaining true. Um, just having like really clear integrity on like who your ideal client is. Like you said, like your makeup always has, like when we've worked together, it's always been a bride that's loved more of like a softer, um, hair, mm -hmm. softer makeup look. And you've really stuck to that. And I feel like another reason why your business has gotten to where it is now and the reputation that you've set forth for yourself is because you, I never saw you like chasing trends, right? right. Like you, you really didn't like, you really just stayed like, you know, wherever the trends of the makeup are going, like you really just stay true to like who your ideal client is. And, um, and that's also something that like, for those listening too, I think it can get really easy. You know, the wedding industry is like really fast paced, right? Like it's, it's, it's almost like rooted in the fashion industry and that moves so quickly too. So because it changes so much, it can be really, um, it can be really easy to, you know, be trying to chase all these different trends and then you kind of lose like who you are at your core. Yeah. It lacks authenticity, you know? And for me, it's like, I would rather get someone to feel comfortable in like their truest, like form of themselves and see themselves as like the, you know, how beautiful they are than like trying to duplicate what like everybody else looks like you know, and mm -hmm. I, I always joke that our clients are usually like the non-bride bride, um, which I do feel like typically like kind of steers away from like the trends that are happening, you know, like we've done some like pretty funky styles and things, but I still feel like at the core of it, like it stays pretty classic. Like, I don't remember, like I look back and go, Oh, what were we thinking there? But <laughs> yeah, I, feel like, I feel like staying like authentic in like your work. Um, I don't know. Yeah. And no, and this goes for it, every creative out there, right? So right. that goes for photographers, that goes for planners, designers, um, hair and makeup, just anybody is when you have that clear direction mm. and that ideal client feels like a trust from you because you're consistent, right? It's authentic to um, your craft and they know when they sit down in your chair um, that you're going to take care of them that, you know, right. and I'm sure that you get such great clients because of that. Yeah. There's like definitely something with like continuity, right? Like I honestly, this last year we've had so many weddings. We do, we do a lot of destination stuff. We've had so many weddings where we haven't even done like an initial trial or consultation with the client. We just show up and they know because of the like continuity on our page and our work and like what we're putting out is there that they they know that like they can trust we're going to 
get to the point that they are looking for as far as like their look, their style, et cetera. Um, and that's why also, I honestly have a pretty small team, um, which I'm sure it goes to say with like anybody in this industry, like you want, you know, the photographer that's assisting you or the person that's helping you with filming, like to like mimic your brand and like the output of your work. And so I'm really particular with like who I like bring on, um, as far as like stylists and artists go too, because I mean, that's everything, you know, and you want your clients to be able to trust whether it's me or someone else going that they're going to like get the same exact, um, work out of us. Yeah, that is so, so true. Um, shifting the conversation a little bit. Um, I'm sure now you only work with full service planners, right? They're the ones that are referring you for every client. What was that? I don't is like destination stuff gets a little, a lot of times, like, especially like Mexico weddings or like, you know, international weddings, I feel like sometimes they'll hire like more local and that seems to be a lot more hands-off or maybe like day of, but okay. to be honest, like when we take on weddings, most of the time it's coming from like a specific referral from a vendor that's associated with that wedding. It's very rare that we have like a person that we're doing a, or a client that we're doing a wedding for that we have like no connection to. Right. Yeah. So it's coming from like someone on that creative team. Um, I know like you've even referred us weddings too, like, you know, hair and makeup. Like that's why I always say for people, like when you, for filmmakers, when you step onto a wedding day and, you know, people may be at a loss for how they can gain referrals. It's, I think that the, sometimes there's blinders where you just think that all of your referrals are going to come from that bride and groom. And right. it's actually like, so there's so many referrals that could be gained. Like you could be making relationships with hair and makeup, with the florist, mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. that planner, um, right. with the photographer, like, right. you know, serving that whole team as a whole and not just the client, obviously they're our number one priority, but immersing yourself in that team, like that team mentality. And, and I kind of feel like collaboration really happens a lot more as you scale your business into more of the luxury market, um, because it is all referral based. That's honestly something that's been tricky for us. Um, I don't know what it is, but I do feel like a lot of times, like people forget that we're all there working towards the same goal and for the same person, like our, like number one priority is that client having the best experience from all angles. Um, and we're a very hands-on like company, you know, um, part of my package includes two hours of touch-ups so that we're there with the bride, making sure that through like the first look, which most people do, um, that they're looking like their best because there's wind and all different like elements and things. And so we're trying our hardest to like collab and work alongside the photographers and the filmmakers to make sure that the hair is in place and there's not like wonky pieces flying across their face or, you know, that, after the first look that lipsticks reapplied. So that way, like the end product for you guys is looking like best, you know? Um, but it can get tricky sometimes because sometimes people are not happy they just, about being on board. Just, we're, and that's hard because we're trying really hard to be respectful. And sometimes I'll be like, oh, can I get in there? But it's it's a tricky kind of balance of figuring out how to work with different personalities and such. But yeah. And I think honestly, that almost just comes from a sense of not being used to that type of service. So just to kind of like break this down a little bit for filmmakers who are listening or photographers who are listening, because there was a time where I remember like there was the very first wedding where I was like, wait a second, this hair and makeup, you know, person is like hanging out with us. What's happening? Like, you know, there's kind of fear in the unknown of like, this is a new, like whole new element to the wedding day. But they're honestly, Erica, like as Erica said, like they're there to help you so that the end product looks better. And we're all trying to work towards the client wanting to look their best, feel their best, feel comfortable. Um, And so you'll probably at some point find yourself where there, the client has opted for, um, you know, coverage of hair and makeup to extend past, you know, the bridal suite. Right. And they're going to come along with you and they're going to step in like when the moment is right. Um, the good ones will Erica definitely will. Um, Um, I always use my manners. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Um, and so that's a very normal part of the luxury industry. So just, I kind of wanted to paint that picture because there's maybe some listening that haven't experienced that quite yet. And so it's almost the same thing as, um, uh, working with a dresser, 
So yeah. like with, when the client brings on a dresser, um, or like a bridal more, more than a bridal concierge, it's someone that's separate from the planning staff. So it's yeah. someone who's brought in to like steam the dress, do last minute alterations, like actually dress the bride. That was almost similar to like the first time I worked with a hair and makeup artist that had extended coverage throughout the day. Like I was like, wait, who's this extra person who's like dressing the bride? Why isn't like sister or mom or whoever else dressing the bride? Um, it can get a little bit confusing, but, um, it's very normal. Well, and I honestly, when I find out that there's a dresser on board, I'm like, huh, because we, you, you took the word right out of my mouth. Like we become kind of more of like a concierge service for the bride, like making sure that like, she's not having to hold her bouquet, making sure she's drinking water, making sure that she's staying like at a hundred percent so that she can give a hundred percent the whole time. Cause it's sometimes grueling, like walking around in a heavy dress and going to all these different places and having a smile, especially if they're not comfortable with it. Um, and so we kind of become like her personal assistant and I'm really strict about that with my girls too. Like, we don't just sit back in the room and like, wait for her to come back to us for touch-ups unless they're like adamant that they don't want us, you know, shadowing them, but it's, it, it really should be something that's helpful and useful, um, and not like a, a burden or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's also important to realize that like the client hired this service, right? So like, this isn't something that the, you know, so it was like pushed on them or anything like that. Like they wanted that service. So as filmmakers, as those who are photographers who are listening, just being respectful of the fact that they did hire that service. And, and even kind of, even back to like, when you start to work more with full service planners and maybe you have a little bit less communication with the client because it's all kind of being run through this full service planner, um, that was a choice that the client made. They wanted a full service planner to lift that, you know, heavy lifting from them so that they can enjoy the planning process. So, you know, mm-hmm. kind of going with the flow and respecting the client in what their choices are and how they've envisioned their wedding planning process going. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, okay. This might be like kind of a hot button issue issue, but, or a hot button subject. I would love to hear, cause I have my own like list too. I would love to hear things that filmmakers might do that they may not be realizing drives the hair and makeup team a little bit crazy, um, that they could learn from. Right. Like, so, okay, I'll go first. So when I first started in the industry, there was a team that we really, really looked up to that were based in San Diego. They were an all male team. And I thought that their work was so beautiful. Um, and it really was, but, um, there was a few things that they missed this slight, they missed this mark. Um, and it was like filming the bride getting ready. And there was like things that were an automatic no, no for me. And it was like putting extensions into the hair, like filming that. And like putting it into the wedding video. Um, There was even one where the bride was like plucking her eyebrows or the makeup artist was like plucking her eyebrows. And that was like in the wedding video. (laughs) And then also just like, I feel like it's anything that's like an extension thing. So it could be like applying like eyelashes, applying extensions. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's just awkward. So for those of us who are listening and maybe if, cause Paul was like totally blinded to like, he didn't know that that was a no, no. Um, right. so for you as a makeup artist, like when, when do you want the video team to like actually be filming your work and what are some things that you think that they could learn from in those parts of the day? So I feel like something that we, I'm pretty adamant about is working like alongside the planner when it comes to the hair and makeup schedule and timing. So I always ask like first, you know, when does the bride need to be getting into her dress? And then I will typically ask like, and what point is the photographer like arriving on site? Um, cause everybody shoots differently. Sometimes they'll take the dress and the shoes and all that and take it out of the room and be gone for 45 minutes. Sometimes they get right to it and start filming what our goal is for my specific team is I work backwards from those times. And so I try my hardest to make sure that we have the bride completed by the time that that's anyone's like stepping on site to take those 
photos or to do the filming of any of that um, process. So that way we're just kind of like faking those motions. The bride isn't in a vulnerable state and she's like ready to go and feeling hundred percent confident. Cause the last thing you want to do is like start off photography or filming and having the bride feeling like slightly insecure about anything. Um, I also feel like sometimes people are weirdly like afraid of communication and like, we're a team, you know, like I don't, I like, you know, I'm friendly with other makeup artists, other hairstylists, like everybody, you know? So it's like, I would, I would love for there to be just like a little bit more communication, you know, like we've had a few instances where like, we're trying to accommodate maybe a bridal request, you know, and maybe we accidentally like step in the way of like, you know, there was a, a situation once where there was like a tight quarters and my artist was moving to go and grab something that the bride was like needing right then. And I guess maybe the photographer saw something that they wanted to cap capture like right away. And instead of, you know, like communicating and saying like, Hey, can I squeeze by? They literally just like put their hands on my artist and like moved them out of the way. And I feel like those kinds of situations, like let's just work together. Let's like, sometimes we're in tight quarters and we got to be like, thoughtful and kind in the way that we work around each other. My team tries to stay out of the way as much as we can. We always typically will say, Hey, can I step in for a second? I never want to like, you know, especially like photographers who shoot film, like we never want to get in at the wrong point. We want to be really conscious over like those, you know, time, our timing. Um, but I would say, yeah, like trying to start photos when the bride is out of like the vulnerable state of the hair and makeup process, I think is going to be just like better for everybody ultimately. Um, and then like, really like letting us just kind of like work alongside you and like be a team, like, especially my team specifically, like, well, I mean, I've held cameras for people before I've held up, um, whatever those light things Oh, like are. a diffuser. Yeah. I've held these beaters before, like nothing's above us. You know what I mean? Like we're there yeah. for like a great service for the bride. And if that means I'm holding a diffuser that she, so she gets the shot that she's going to love for the rest of her life, I'll do it. Um, so I just, I don't know, I think ultimately, honestly, just like working together and like really like, ref like reflecting back on the timeline and being like understanding when, if there's a miscommunication, you know, like there's been times when we've, you know, confirmed, like, here's our timing, here's what we have. And then all of a sudden the bridesmaids show up with like the wrong timing. And you're like, wait, hold on. That's not the timing that we have. I don't know how that's happened, but like, no one's, no one's trying to mess anything up. I mean, I don't know that we've ever run late for a wedding, to be honest. Um, That's amazing. I go about that. Well, I played sports notes like, you know, 10 minutes early, it's five minutes late. Um, if ever we're running close, it's typically honestly like something that's gone wrong in that day with like people not arriving on time or things like that out of our control moments. Um, but I just feel like, yeah, I honestly, it all goes back to just communication and being like gracious and graceful, like in the way that we work together. Cause if there's tension between vendors, the bride's going to pick up on that. And it's 100 going to be shifting like the mood for the day. And that's just not okay. You know? Yeah. It's, it's just not fair. Yeah. No, it's not fair for the bride. It's not fair for the other vendors that are there. Um, so yeah, teamwork makes the dream work, you know? That's very true. I'm sure too, with you never being late on a wedding ever, um, or having your bride ready, like that's probably just catapulted your referral network too, because, and okay. And I will say, like, I was talking to Paul about this actually a few weeks ago. I'm like, I can't remember the last time that hair and makeup was like maybe late, like for us, you know, and it set us back. Like we work now. Yeah. And, and I think it's just honestly because of like where we're positioned in the industry and everyone realizes that this is like, it's about the team and like everyone needs to get, you know, what they need to get done. Um, and, but when we were more in that budget market, that mainstream market, hair and makeup ran long all the time. Like it was very, I, think that we did a, I almost, I feel like we did a wedding once where we only did one of the services and literally the other teams, I heard them say to the bride, girl, it's your wedding. Like they got to wait for you. And I literally was like, but her dinner will be served cold. <laughs> like if you're late, it sets the whole day back and now their meals overcooked. You know what I mean? Like you have to think through like the whole like effect, you know, cause and effect of all of it. Um, I was 
deeply mortified that day. Um, <laughs> I remember which wedding this was, I think. Yeah. yeah. So I think for filmmakers, the, the takeaways from this are really making sure that that bride has a good base, like use your best judgment, like, you know, have a good base on. She, I love what you said where the bride's not in a vulnerable state because that's very true. Like, like as a woman, like there is something very vulnerable about no makeup and like a professional camera, right? right. That like really shows like everything. Um, it's not just like your iPhone with a filter or anything like that. So, um, you know, just kind of reading the room. I think reading the room is a huge element to like success in your business and success among all the creative partners and your client and everything. Um, and I, I always kind of say like, I like to walk into the room and I like to just like, kind of try, this feels weird, but I just like try to like feel what's happening in the room. Like you can okay. honestly feel if it's feeling tense or is it a big party or is it like, La super lax where you know that you're going to have to like kind of be on that bride to be right. like, Hey, we got to get you back here. Like, let's move right. it along. Like she's so relaxed. Um, and so, you know, just reading the room and kind of like either matching that energy or trying to find a way how you can like best complement that energy in a right. way that brings success. The, yeah. How you can approach the moment appropriately. I yeah. think too, um, you know, a lot of times, right we have, we are, it's best for us to work in front of natural light, right? We bring our lights, but ultimately natural light is the best, which also is beautiful for dressing the bride in. So sometimes there's situations where we might be in the spot that you want to shoot her very first look at, or not like the, not the first look between bride and groom, but like her getting her dress on. Yeah. Like just communicate that like, Hey, like, and nicely, you know, like, Hey, like, just FYI, like if you, you know, when you're finished, like this is actually the spot that I think is going to be best to shoot the bride in. So then we know before, like five minutes beforehand that we need to mentally prepare to like tear down as fast as we can and move our stuff off to the side. Cause we never want to be in the way, but if we don't know that that's, you know, the only spot that might be the best um, and it's not communicated to us. And then it's not told to us before, you know, five minutes right before, then it just creates like unnecessary chaos in the room. And it's like, all we want to do is create like a mellow and nice environment the entire way through. So, I mean, which goes back to communicating, you know? Yeah. Ultimately. I'm glad you really, I'm really glad you said that because that happens a lot actually. Um, mm -hmm. because you know, I feel like now we do work with more like hair and makeup professionals that pick the best spots because they really understand it. Whereas years ago, when we were in that more of that budget mainstream market, I never really quite understood like why, like when bathroom. we were looking, yes. Why in the bathroom? I don't even know. Well, I'm in Tennessee now. And so I, not that I feel like it's been weird. Like as far as luxury goes, the, the Tennessee bride, it hasn't necessarily been my clientele, which has been so interesting, but like the bride that comes out of state to Tennessee has definitely been more our clientele, but the locations out here are pretty awesome in the sense that almost every single one of them have a set up area specifically for hair and makeup. And it's been so nice because there's like designated stations with great lighting. I'm like, why is this hard? More venues need to do this. It's hard with hotel rooms and, and things like right. that, but we try really hard to designate a certain area and we try to be thoughtful. Like if there's a big living room area in space, like we'll try to go set up in front of the window in the bedroom. Cause that's probably not the spot you're going to shoot with the big bed in the way. Um, but sometimes that's just not an option. So yeah. it's just together, you know? Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. How has it been with you moving States and your business shifting? Um, I mean, at first it was really hard and very humbling, which I'm very thankful for. Um, I, you know, it was kind of like starting over. Um, mm -hmm. and I was traveling, you know, after COVID, you know, and all, everything getting shifted to the next year and then us moving, um, I was traveling back and forth to California. Oh my gosh. So much. Like I would come home for two weeks. I would go back to California for 10 days. I would come home for two weeks, come back to California for 10 days. And I did that for basically six months. And then I was getting really sad because I was like, gosh, why is my business locally in Tennessee not growing at all? And my husband was like, uh, you're not here. Um, mm. so we've been here for almost three years now. And I feel like it's, it's in a really great space. Um, I do more editorial commercial TV 
music industry stuff. Um, so I'm kind of pursuing that a little bit more out here, but I do have a lovely team out here. I still have my team in California. Um, and I'm, I'm actually going to engage this year. You are. It's my first time. I'm very nervous. You guys, um, I don't know what to expect. They send over the Pinterest. Have you been? I have not, but take that Pinterest board seriously. I'm telling you. They sent it over and I had like a panic. I was like, I want my money back. I can't do this. I was not prepared. Also lots of pink. I don't think I own a single pink thing. So I'm just kind of like, I don't even know where to shop, but I'm going to go because I really would love to get more connected to the East coast luxury clientele. Um, and just kind of like build that and see where that goes. But it's been really great. And I love it so much. My kids just love it so much here. That's amazing. And you know, there's, I'm, I'm sure there's listeners too, that have, you know, ran their businesses in multiple States, whether maybe their spouse was relocated for work or they Mm -hmm. wanted to make a change for their family or whatever, but yeah. So basically to paint a picture, Erica started her business in Southern California. Um, and then three years ago moved to Tennessee. So, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of navigating that. And and actually the beautiful thing is, is that in kind of that luxury market. And once you've built that reputation, it almost doesn't really matter where you live. Well, I was really nervous, right? Cause I have, you know, I, from day one, I've really tried to establish, I don't have, I don't like the word assistant. I don't use assistants. Everyone on my team is on equal playing field. They're all paid the same way. And I think that too, is something like vendor wise that I feel like everybody should be doing in this industry. One charge what you are worth. Um, and you might get lots of no's, but the yeses that you get will eventually even itself out. Um, I honestly raise my pricing like every couple years. And I know that I'm like veering off of your question. Um, and to compensate the people who are working with you over what's expected. Because I think that's honestly why my team has stayed with me for so long is I go above what like industry standard is beyond, you know, um, cause I really want them to feel valued and like be seen, feel seen. And I know they're taking time away from their family, their other work, et cetera. And so I just feel like compensating above what's expected. And, um, yeah, I feel like that makes all the, all the difference in your, in your business, but so from the day, from day one, I've always tried to establish that all of my team is equal and we're all leads for, you know, and then I tried to not like, I didn't go on everything myself. I kind of like limited myself to a certain amount of weddings a year. And then the rest of my team would do the rest. And so I was really nervous at first to say, Hey, we're moving. You know, my mom's from Tennessee. We kind of followed them when they retired out here. Um, cause I was nervous as to how people would take that. And if that meant they would stop like using us because I wasn't there. Um, and it's been really beautiful because that hasn't happened at all. And everyone now I just get planners that are like, Hey, is Tina available? Hey, is Katie available? Hey, is Van available? Um, and they just like call out my artists by their name. And it's just as like this beautiful picture of like what, like we've kind of like grown into and like built together. Um, and so, yeah, I feel like even though I was nervous to make the move, I feel like it hasn't really like affected anything. Uh, because my team is established as a team and it's not just like me as an individual, that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I think too, like I'm, you know, okay. As people, okay. You'll see a lot in the budget market and I'm going to speak directly to filmmakers. And I don't know, maybe even makeup artists too. You'll see a lot of people like almost like cattle call out, like who they want their assistants to be, or like, it'll literally like, I'll even see things on Facebook groups where it's like, Hey, I'm looking for a second shooter for this Saturday. Like, blows my mind because what are you communicating to your client is that you've waited to the last minute to take care of securing the person that's coming to take care of their services for the most important day of their life. I see it all the time in the makeup industry too, in the hair industry. And I'm like, girl, like send a private message. Yes. Don't ask that because it just look to me, I get it. Sometimes you're in a bind, like someone gets sick or whatever. There's those rare occasions, but that's when I directly, I have a beautiful community of artists that I'm friends with. Cause I don't feel like there's this competition because there's literally someone for everyone. And so I rely on them personally through text message and say, Hey, I'm in a bind. I need an artist. Can I pull from your team? I just did that this last week. I worked with, um, there's a girl named Claire. She's amazing. She's out here. She's established. And I literally was like, Hey, one of my girls is sick. I have a shoot tomorrow. I know you're in town. Like, would you be interested in doing a job for me? Like, I don't, 
know how you feel about that. Like you own your own company, you know? And she was like, absolutely. It was beautiful. It was amazing. Mm -hmm. But I don't know that I would ever be like, Hey, so I have a shoot tomorrow and I don't have a person. Cause then you just freak out your client. Yeah. And it's just not a good look either. Like for like your planners to kind of see that I always kind of say like social media should not be a form of like a method of communication. Like it really needs to like, that all needs to happen like in a private fashion. Um, so we kind of went on a a a side tangent there, but I'm glad, I'm glad we went there, um, because it is something that needs to be said. Um, and yeah. And then also like, as I've kind of seen now, like what you kind of said about like compensating your team and like going above and beyond, like, you know, that's so important because now you've found your tribe that like values your brand it's really hard to find like assistants and seconds or people on your team that value your brand as much as you do and like have share that same integrity for like 10 11 makeup being the brand and Mm -hmm. I I think I heard um Jose Villa on a podcast like he has his team of like you know four or five people that he like uses and he was like I pay them really well like I pay them super well because I know that one, they have their own businesses too. And I love the way that they, you know, work under the Jose Via brand and I need them. So like, I'm going to pay them in a way where they feel valued, taken care of, like appreciative. Um, Mm -hmm. and he's like, I, I know that I probably pay way, way, way above industry standard, but I don't care. Like, that's what I need to do for my brand. Well, and you want someone to be excited to come to work for you. They don't want someone to feel like, oh, is this worth it? Like I could have been doing something else. Like I want my, I want like most of my girls own their own salon. And so I kind of sat down and was like, how much on average, like, do you make in a salon a day? And then I'm like, okay, great. Well, then that's my goal is to make sure that you, you make that amount on any job that you do for me a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then it feels worth it to them, you know, and they get excited and it's fun for them to do something like different than what they're doing, like on the day to day. And, and, you know, even like when I do like destination stuff, like I want to compensate them for the whole trip, like getting out there, coming home on the day that they're there so that they feel like missing three days of work of their normal, like business felt exciting. They got to go visit a new place. Like it was an adventure and they got paid really well. You know, it needs to be worth it. Um, because at the end of the day, like they don't owe you the vendor anything like this is they're doing, they're kind of doing you a favor by like coming in and like working for you. And so they need to feel that and feel seen, you know? Absolutely. Um, well, Erica, this has been such a fun conversation. I'm so glad that we have known each other for so long in the industry. And, um, I kind of would just love to like close it out with like any lasting thoughts that you would have for listeners on, you know, where might be an area where it's a missed opportunity on being able to elevate, you know, you've talked about relationships, you've talked about seeking out those whose businesses you want to emulate in the very beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, We've talked about like client experience, all of those things, like just in general, like where do you see luxury creative partners sharing more of those common threads where it gets noticed by planners and by like high wealth clients? I think that, um, well, I feel like the thing that I hear the most about like experiences with our team is just like the, like consistency of the work, the like flexibility of us being willing to be, you know, you know, change of plans or whatever we have, we'll be flexible in certain, certain situations. It's not like, well, you know, on paper, it said this, and I'm not willing to buy. And like, we're, there's a certain extent where we'll be willing to be flexible in certain situations. Um, and then professionalism, I feel like, I don't know what has happened, but I feel like there's like, we try to dress like on point, you know, we represent ourselves. Like we are our brand, like we are our marketing, like in person. And so like having like grace with your clients and with the vendors that are working on the team and just like really trying to be like an exceptional human in the moment, I feel like will set you apart from like someone who isn't holding themselves to like that higher standard. I also really do think that like in our industry, in every, I mean, specifically in hair and makeup, but I'm sure that you would say you would feel the same way, but like, honestly going out there and like asking for 
the payment for how much you truly see yourself like valued at, like, don't be afraid to mark up your prices, not mark up, like in the sense that like you're overpricing things, but like, don't be afraid to like every few years, like, you know, change your pricing structure and like ask for what you really should be valued at because you're only holding the everybody else in that industry back and yourself, you know, it's like, I don't know. I just feel like that's where I really see like a misalignment where it's like, I know that we're providing a similar service to like some other companies. And I know that like their pricing is nowhere near like where ours is. And they should be like, they should be asking for the same pricing that we are. And it just, it's confusing. It's confusing to the client, you know? Um, and I think it's also kind of just a disservice because it places an, you know, an expectation that's like, we're not really right out there for what clients should be, um, like, you know, properly paying for their services, if that makes sense. Oh yeah. Like we, we, you know, as filmmakers, I think that it's so common for people to undercharge and also mm -hmm. just like, not really like, Taylor and I, we kind of, um, so we run like free workshops a couple times a year. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we do in every single workshop is lay out the range of what people are paying, like, and this is like, these are real budgets. So this isn't like the not putting things out or like anything like right. that. Like, right. this is like, budget is this industry standard is this, like, like, let's see, like entry luxury is this. And then it just goes up from there. And mm -hmm. every single time people are like, I'm undercharging. Oh my gosh, I didn't realize it. And so I really do love that now our industry and is collectively sharing pricing a little bit more in like a, in an open way um, so that we can all rise together and mm -hmm. not hold each other back. So totally. I'm so glad I'm you said that. I'm an open book. I, girls call me all the time and are like, Hey, can I, you know, ask a few questions? And I'm like, girl, this is exactly how I do my business. Cause like, how is that going to hurt me? There's enough to go around. And if I can make sure that someone else is out there, like getting like what they should be getting, like it honestly only helps me too, you know? Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll share, I'll share my contracts with people, how I have it written for protection. Like I'll share how I do my pricing. I'll share how I pay out my girls. Like I'm an open book and I think more people should be like that. Like, why are we hoarding in our information? Like when honestly, like it just helps like up the value of all of us, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's I scary. It. It's so scary. Like the first time I upped my pricing, I doubled. I literally would just went for it. I doubled my pricing and I was like, okay. And I got so many no's. But then I got just enough yeses that it evened itself out and it, I didn't lose anything. Like if anything, I made more money that year. And then it, and then that was like my standard. And so then the next year, like I just, you know, year over year, like made more and more. And now every two years, I, or two or three years, I like reassess my, where I'm at, my pricing. You know, amazing. Yeah. That's so good. It's it. Yeah. You're going to hear a lot of no's. And as you, as you rise within the industry, you'll hear more and more no's, but that's okay because by your pricing, they'll be like, yeah, I get yes. emails. I'm yes. Like, oh, sorry. Yes. Oh my gosh. I, um, one time this is like kind of a funny side note, but a bride had inquired, we sent a over our collections. Um, she had CC'd her mom in the inquiry. And mm -hmm. so, you know, kept the mom CC'd and then the mom wrote back and she meant to just write to the bride, but we were also CC'd on it. And I don't think she realized it. And she was like, I'm sorry. Am I reading this right? They start at this. That's outrageous. And then like, I, I wasn't going to say anything about it, but then the bride emailed us like profusely apologizing. Oh, that's so funny. And I was like, it's okay. <laughs> like, it's totally fine. Um, but yeah, like you're going to hear no's. You're going to hear people that are like semi-offended and they're just not your client. And then the yeses become so much sweeter. And the yeses, like we just had a student who was in our first round of our mastermind over the summer. And she just shared a win in our alumni group that said, I held on. I raised my prices to what you guys had told me to raise them to. And I've waited since I think it was like June. Like she's like, I hadn't booked anything since June. And I finally just booked something and I feel like I can breathe now. And I'm so happy that I stuck with my prices because I'm really excited about this wedding. And I know that I'm where I need to be. And, and sometimes that price, 
like that price adjustment or increasing that pricing just comes in that lull. Like it all comes in waves, right? So you kind of hit a booking lull and that can be extra scary, but, um, just stick to it and, you know, know that you're worth it. And I think too, too, in the luxury industry, like I'll raise my pricing and I'll be at the bottom of someone's scale. And so then it's like, we're just the hair and makeup person. I'm like, I've literally been working with you for six months and you just called me a makeup girl. You know what I mean? It's like, and then I'll raise my pricing again. And now I'm at the top of that new like areas budget. And now it's like there, I'm more of an investment and they're so appreciative. So there's also kind of like within the luxury industry, like an ebb and flow of like where you're kind of at in people's budget ranges. And that's kind of been like really interesting too. But you know, like when you're on a regular basis, getting what like you should be getting and it's, you're not, you know, struggling because you're not charging enough. It also opens up opportunities for you to be able to be more generous with your services too. So then you can say yes to the things that like you might've said no to because it didn't make sense or it's not like in the budget that you need it to be, but like value wise, like you see it there, then you want to be able to say yes. Now you can, because everywhere else you're making what you should be making. Um, so I just feel like when you're getting what like is your, your value and your worth is and just opens up opportunities for like generosity elsewhere too. And everyone. Oh, totally. Yeah. And, and we kind of even like, you know, this also like side topic, but like sometimes we're talking with people that are like, well, like the planner and the photographer, like they're shooting flat lays like the day before, like an hour before the, you know, welcome party. And like, I'm not being paid for that. And then like, say yes to that opportunity. There's an hour, there's an hour right there. You can just spend FaceTime one-on-one time with that planner and that photographer in the room, really bond with them. Like before that wedding weekend kicks off. And yes, it is really hard to say yes to those things when you undercharge and you're just feeling like they're just pulling and pulling and pulling from you and it's cutting into your profits. And you're just like, ah, like this is too much, but you know, now like, you know, you hear of these filmmakers that are charging like 25,000, 35,000, 40,000, like they're just, and they're so generous with their time. And like, they're like, I don't care. I'll show up and shoot an hour of flat lays beforehand because like I was paid for that. Like I, they're going to be there for anyways. Me. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, like, yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. So it's just like a mindset shift in that mm-hmm. way. Um, and again, like it is hard when you're not being compensated, but putting your best foot forward and like making those small sacrifices also go a long way too. But yeah. Well, cool. Um, Erica, I would love for the listeners to be able to find you. Where can they find you on social media, your website, all those good things. Um, Our website is 1011makeupandhair.com. My Instagram is at 1011makeupandhair. And I don't have a TikTok. I should. That's okay. That's fine. Just three boys. I'm already on my phone enough, you know, just it's not in this season, but maybe one day. I think you're all right. I That's think you'll be okay with that. I, mean, I have, we have Facebook too. It's just 10, 11 makeup and hair as well, but those, yeah. those are the ways. Cool. Well, I am so glad you came on. I hope that the listeners love this one and I look forward to working with you again soon. Thank you. Me too. Miss you. Thank you for joining us in this conversation. If you enjoyed this episode, please help us reach more filmmakers just like you by taking a screenshot and sharing it on social media. Don't forget to tag us at The Level Up Co. And join us again next week, same time, same place, as we continue to level up the industry together. 